Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And now it is time for the greatest apart series the Mr. Mitchell History Podcast has seen, The Hawk Keating Years. But before we begin, there are two things you can do to support the podcast. One. Give the podcast a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcast and too. Consider supporting the Patreon for just $1.50 a month. Let's get into it. What a day today. We're, we're bringing this on a very important day in Australian history books. Do you know oh, what? April 29. Do you know what is happening on April 29th? It's four days after Anzac Day. <laughs> Even more significant. Mm. It is Kyle Sanderland's wedding day today. Oh, oh I my actually gosh. did know about that. <laughs> that was all the talk in the office this week. <laughs> I did. I did not see that at all on my on my news. I didn't see it. I'm missing out. It was word of mouth. Word on the street is that Albo is going to be the DJ at Kyle Sanderland's wedding. Nah, Albo, no. <laughs> they, not they, like this. They did a call like what? this. This this would have been before he was elected, this is when he was opposition leader and he's mm. trying to like go the route of getting good press. So he goes on Carl Sanderland's show and Carl Sanderland's like, yeah, go on the crew thing. Like first question Carl Sanderland's asks is, will you legalize marijuana? And Albert's mm. like, no, no, that's something for the States to decide and kind of <laughs> plays it off yeah. like that. But he's like, okay, I need to actually try and build good credit. And Albert's like, are you getting married? And Carl's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting married next year. And Albert's like, can I, can I be the DJ at your wedding? And Kyle's like, you could be prime minister then. And he was like, well, imagine having the prime minister DJ your wedding (laughs) and just like build all this good credit. And now Kyle like really loves Albo. And like, that's all it took to get Kiss FM on side and support Labor was. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I think there might be more political crossover with wedding DJs than you might think. I think there's. Do you have I don't know. Any other examples? I feel like I heard about some, a local politician in Aubrey who. Aubrey, sorry, who also yeah sides hustles as a wedding DJ. Wow, mm. um, and it's just do we yeah, know, like do a we local know who hero. he is? <laughs> Can we get him on the pod? If he, yeah, if, if, if he's local, that's 
That's it. That's our yeah. demographic. I mean, if we just looked Albury politician. Is it Aubrey or Albury? I look, I'll be honest, I get mixed up. I then think of Auburn mm. and just think of entirely different suburbs. So. Aub- are you talking Aubrey like the Aubrey Wodonga Aubrey? Yeah, Aubrey Al- mm. Wodonga. Mm. <laughs> like how you both assertively just said your different pronunciations. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <As> you <laughs> can disagree, fact. you know that. <laughs> we rely on civil disagreement for our political system to work. So. We are the saving grace of political discourse in Australia. <laughs> No, we kept, we could probably could get him on the pod. They, he's probably similar size to us. Yeah. By the way, thank you for taking the ads. We yeah yeah that was a big uh, a big step for us, wasn't it? We um we are now officially sponsored, well not by any particular company, but through our podcast network, we now have ads running on the pod. So so thank you thank you for allowing us to do that by listening. We really appreciate it, and we reward you by giving you ads. <laughs> <laughs> we we get our payments in the Swedish currency. Uh, game's a game, which is zero point one five Australian dollars at the time of recording. So it looks very, it looks like we're making bank, mm. but unfortunately, you've you've probably just funded a fruit cup for us. Yeah, yeah. but worth it. Worth it. We, yeah. we, we will take well, that fruit, fruit cup. cup. Yeah, <laughs> better than no fruit cup. That's for sure. <laughs> we are going to talk about. Bob Hawke today. I'm going to begin, mm, yeah. rather than just ask what I normally do and asking what do you already know, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a did you know. Okay. Did you know Bob Hawke was a CIA informant? No, no. I didn't. Mm, that's where we're going to begin today. Uh, that's so, not very sculling beers at the cricket of him, is <laughs> yes. it? Yes. Or maybe maybe it's really patriotic that <laughs> <laughs> he goes True. to Uncle Sam and shows them how it's done. Bob Hawke... Before he was the before he was in Parliament, he was the leader of the ACTU, Australian Council of Trade Unions. So, don't want to get in trouble here. Are you part of your unions? Imagine for your white collar jobs, the unions. I'm not, but I actually I was walking to the from the station a week or so ago, and they were handing out pamphlets for like a, a like a financial sector union or something. I think it was more relevant to the the CBA that's just near my office. Mm. But yeah, look. To be honest, I'm not sure what my union is, but <laughs> I'm also somewhat happy with my salary right now. So I also have an um and my my working conditions, but that's you, not to breed complacency. You know? Yeah, we we don't we don't like that. Ads might not last forever. Then we yeah, don't yeah, get those fruit cups. Yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> I'll edit that out. I just said PY's company. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if unions are really in the charity sector too much. I feel like there's some sort of conflict there, maybe. Well, yeah, I don't know. Like, because I feel like you're kind of, there is, they're ripe for exploitation, right? Because you can mm. just prey on the, the goodwill of the people that work there, mm. right? So, Perhaps. Yeah, maybe that's, yeah. there's a need. Yeah, uh, obviously, I guess, yeah. Executive management wouldn't, uh, you, that's like a word that you don't say. Mm. You don't say union. Wow. <laughs> the, the managers have told you not to say union or uh, they that's just... just the vibe. I'm that's getting. <laughs> we don't do that here. Well, as a teacher, my union membership is pretty much given. Even though... So, yeah. so I'm not a part of the Teachers Federation, which is the public schools union. I'm part of the independent schools union, which mm. is significantly smaller, significantly less powerful. And my teach, my working conditions are by and large pretty great. But collect, like if you don't have a collective strength or if you don't have a collective workforce together, that's when you're rife for... <laughs> Like exploitation. That's is that the word I was after for exploitation. Yeah. Yep. So 
Australian Council of Trade Unions, it's basically the centralised authority for, for, for a whole bunch of different trade unions. And so, so that they're collectively represented by one head who then goes and lobbies on behalf of these unions. So it's kind of like a, a funnel through system, so to speak. Bob Hawke throughout the 70s was the head of the ACTU. Do you know who's Sally McManus? Heard of her before? Mm. She's So the she's the second. James McManus. <laughs> the Knights, this will not be the last time we talk about that footy, Tarzo. James McManus's footy card will pop up again later <laughs> in this episode. But so she's she's the secretary of the ACTU right now. She's often on the 7.30 report if for the you know, five people our age that watch that. Mm. So it, 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 is, it is a pretty big authority. And I'd put it like this. Being the head of the ACTU is kind of like being the best rugby union player, huh, no pun intended, before <laughs> going across to play rugby league. If that makes sense. So yeah. if so imagine you're like uh, well Sonny Bill changed like four different times both ways. Mm. So imagine you're like Sonny Bill Williams. And again, huge apologies for our Victorian, even bigger apologies for our American listeners who would have no idea what we're talking about right now. But you know, sorry, you make five percent of our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> but a good five percent. We love you very much. We do, much. we love you very much. They effect so effectively being the head of the ACTU is like being the best player in rugby union. And if you're about to make the switch you are going to get a really good job straight away in rugby league. Mm. So For so context, rugby unions in Australia, a little bit not as kind of cool, I guess, not as popular mm, They're probably in the, bigger globally. the mainstream. Yes. <laughs> oh, definitely bigger globally, yeah. But so you, you can make really lucrative contracts in rugby I union because it's, it's global. Yeah. And so a lot of players go for those big contracts and usually around about rugby World Cup time, that's when, mm. they, when, they, when they switch. Mm. But... Then they actually are pretty much a nobody in Australia. Like the Wallabies captain could walk past me on the street and I'd have no idea who it is. Mm. Okay. So then a lot of those rugby union players come back to rugby league, i.e., Sonny B. Williams, and they're in prime position because it's like, well, technically, you're not a rugby league player right now, but the skill crossover is just so similar that we can very easily make, make do with it. So Bob Hawke was head of the ACTU. Basically, mm. he provided all sorts of intel to the CIA. So he, at one point, flirted with the CIA on creating a new party. And so this was during Gough Whitlam's time. So Whitlam would negotiate with Bob Hawke as the ACTU. And as far as Bob Hawke was concerned, that wages were rising at an unsustainable level, which contributed to inflation. Mm. And so Bob Hawke actually relayed that back to the CIA. The CIA then kind of floated the idea of creating a new central party between Liberal and Labor and making it a three-party race, so to speak. Bob Hawke did all sorts of other things. Do you remember Marshall Green from our very first podcast on Gough Whitlam? It was, known as, it was the ambassador to Australia. It was known as the coup master. Right. Okay. The US Ma- ambassador. To US Australia. ambassador. Yeah. And he was known for pretty much being a very rude ambassador who would just basically enforce America's will upon Australia and not at all be considerate of Australia's interests. Bob Hawke defended him a lot when mm. Whitlam's guys hated him. So before he actually enters politics, he is very much a known quantity. Why would he inform on Australia? Why would he be an informant to America? A couple of theories. We don't get it. We don't get a clear answer. By the way, these cables were released in 2021. So this is a lot of new information mm. that came out recently. He's probably looking at becoming prime minister from as early as the early 1970s as the head of the ACTU. And he's saying, okay, 
basically, I'm like the best player in rugby union. I'm going to go across and win the Dally M in NRL. Mm. That's that's kind of what we're seeing. And to do that, I need the Americans on side. Because he had the foresight to see what the Americans would do to Whitlam. And under Hawke, he would play ball with America so that they would not do to a Labor government what they did to Whitlam. Mm. The 70s is also interesting because it's the time when the CIA are starting to infiltrate Labor. So in the 50s and the 60s, they didn't really bother. It's like they didn't have power. It was Robert Menzies throughout all the 50s and the 60s. So the CIA didn't really bother trying to infiltrate the Labor Party at all. But then as Whitlam won, they then started to be like, okay, we need to actually infiltrate the Workers' Party and have our sphere of influence in there as well because they can be in power some of the time. All that to say, Bob Hawke is a very powerful person before he actually enters Parliament. 1980, Bob Hawke enters Federal Parliament. He has a seat in Victoria. Do you know who's our Prime Minister in 1980? Is it a Labour government? It's not a Labour government. Mm. Is it Billy? Billy who? McMahon? Nah, he's early 70s. Early. Mm. Don't know. It is Malcolm Fraser. Fraser. Uh. Pretty forgettable person in history. <laughs> Tough. Well, you didn't know him. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Fraser's basis. So Fraser comes in after Gough Whitlam. So when Gough yep. Whitlam gets yep. sacked, they do a re-election. Malcolm Fraser wins, and he's actually in for a fair amount of time, considering how forgettable he is. Mm. And Fraser comes in, and there's all sorts of economic issues under Fraser. And in 1980, Labor is led by a guy called Bill Hayden. So you, the, the the Bill instinct was was right, Py. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cam, could you name every prime minister from like first till now? I reckon order? I could do everyone except for the so the country party would have fill-ins often as transition tra- as transition guys between the prime ministers. So say when uh, let's just take for example. So when Joseph Lyons died in office, Earl Page kind of temporarily took charge okay. of the country for like a yeah. month. So yeah. that's where I would come unstuck is trying to remember mm. those country party guys that were the trans that were mm. like in office for one month. But like post World War Two, you could probably, with the exception of one country party dude okay. who was in between Harold Holt and yeah. John Gordon. Yeah, that. I can't remember his name okay. off the top of my head. Man, that must have been an interesting period to be the transition guy for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it's not just, you know, a little election or a by-election. Oh, no, he's just... He's dead. But he's he could dead. come back at any point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. How long do you reckon it was? For those who don't know, we had this this Prime Minister, Harold Holt, that went swimming one night whilst he was Prime Minister and just disappeared and was never seen again. How long do you reckon it was before they're like, nah, he's... He's pretty gone. Oh, they gave it like two weeks. It was like yeah. right before Christmas. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And they, they held a funeral within a month for him. Yeah, damn. Like he's gone sweat. Like, yeah, unless he's literally been captured by the Chinese in submarines. Yeah. That's the only way he's still alive. Mm. So, yeah, it was, it was what a crazy. You imagine story. that email to China? Like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering. We've lost our prime minister. Any chance you picked him up for? Like- no dramas, if not. Just, no, just no, no. covering all bases. Please, just let us know. <laughs> kind regards. Looking forward to hearing from you, sir. Stand in, prime minister. We trust that this email finds you well. <laughs> so yeah. well, you're probably not far off from knowing them all, Cam. So probably not far. If you off. wanted a little party trick, I'm sure you could 
Patreon special only though. Yeah, yeah. that's one for the. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so pay us money and you'll get to listen to Cam name uh, all the prizes after <laughs> listening to ads. From... <laughs> so to come back full circle, we're from where we Bill Hayden, nineteen eighty. He's the opposition leader. He's all right. He's doing. He's 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 doing okay. He does not have anywhere near the popularity that Bob Hawke has. So Bob Hawke enters Parliament, and it's a huge issue for Bill Hayden because Bill Hayden knows. It's three years away from the next election. Mm. He's got to stave off Bob Hawke for three years. And Bob Hawke's kind of got a head start. It's not as though he has to work his way from the ground up. He's entering politics with an incredible amount of influence. There's one other guy who skyrockets to leadership of the party that is in our lifetime. Is it Paul? Not Paul. He has to do his year. He does his years. Wait, sorry. Are you saying someone at, at this time or someone... In who's been life. who's been in in politics in our lifetime? Who skyrockets to leadership of the party, and just jumps the queue? You're not talking about Julia, are you? You're not talking about Julia. Mm. I don't know who you're talking about. Is it K Rod? Not K Rod. Uh, he's he's pretty quick, but he's not yeah. that quick. It would have been a bit before him as well, surely. No, it was after K Rod. Who would it be? Malcolm. Big Malk. So Turnbull enters Parliament in 2004. Oh, and he's the leader. I thought we we're talking about Labor. Oh, sorry, my bad. He's so mm. Malcolm again because he's got all the clout because he was the he was leader some... of the Republican movement within the Liberal Party. Yeah, he's got his like background as Kerry Packer's lawyer. He's the lawyer, yeah. Mm. And so he enters in two thousand and four. <sighs> he's the leader by two thousand and eight, if I'm not mistaken. Damn, that could be an interesting episode. We do like World Series cricket and Malcolm <laughs> Turnbull role origin stories yeah. is really like a <laughs> like how Star Wars releases those TV shows about the background for one niche character. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I, I I do like that idea. But we're, we're yeah. 18 minutes in and we haven't <laughs> talked about Bob Hawke at all. Okay. So Bob Hawke, to kind of truncate the story a little bit, Bob Hawke effectively, Bill Hayden can't stave him off. And Bob Hawke becomes the leader of the Labor Party right before the 1983 election. And he beats Bill Hayden. Bill Hayden steps aside. He doesn't want to, but he knows that the party's going to give him no option. And in return, Bill Hayden gets to have a, a, a key ministry position when Bob Hawke beats Malcolm Fraser. Bob Hawke goes on to beat Malcolm Fraser. He is an extremely popular prime minister going into office. Yeah. Mm. He's in touch with the common man, right? Like he's, A larrikin, if you will. He's a fair dinkum battler looking out for the, for the heard, little guy. I heard he won a beer drinking competition at Oxford University. That is correct. Yeah. That was, is. It, was it Bob Hawke that was... It was he a Rhodes Scholar? I think one of our Prime Ministers was. It's like some prestigious overseas scholarship to somewhere. Well, yeah, Bob, Bob Hawke was at Oxford. He studied at Oxford. So that, that much is true. I don't know if he's Dr. Bob Hawke. No, no, it's not a, a PhD or something. No. I know we, we like our references to the Crown. It was a great Crown episode with Bob Hawke. They, that Yeah. The guy he nailed the actor nails Bob Hawke in that one. Very good. Yeah, <laughs> Australia's Rhodes Scholars have included Prime Ministers Bob Hawke, Tony Abbott, and Malcolm Turnbull. Wow, Tony. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Or well, Tony. Tony is an Anglophile. Tony loves Britain. Like I'm not surprised there. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not over there. So Bob Hawke comes into <clears throat> office, and basically there's an issue. Unemployment's at ten percent. That's pretty yeah. bad. Wait. What are we at now? Do we know? Like three or four? Is that what? That feels like. You've really given me the um, the Albanese treatment of what's the current cash rate? Yeah, uh, 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 um, uh, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, mate. 
There's, do you remember the one of Scott Morrison when he was asked what the cost of petrol is? And Scott Morrison yeah, like, tries to... like a loaf of bread or a milk or something. Yeah. yeah. And his strategy is to own the fact that he doesn't know. I'm not going to pretend I know, mate. Mm. I'm not going to pretend to you. And he just keeps saying, he uses the phrase, I'm not going to pretend over and over. And he mm-hmm. completely just dodges the question. It was, yeah. it was actually like fair play to Scott Morrison. That is a fantastic way mm. of dodging the question. Yeah. Mm. I think... And, if I was Scott Morrison, I'd go, well, I, d- I don't look at the individual costs in my online grocery shopping. <laughs> just, just gets added to the cart. <laughs> You've done very well, Ben. It's 3.5%. There you go. Mm. You, um, yeah, your finger's on the pulse here. Mm. Yeah. So at 10%, and there's a bit of an issue. The 70s was a, was, a, was a really bad era of inflation. And we've kind of discussed this on previous podcasts that probably the mid-70s is the closest to the current economic conditions that we have right now. And so the issue is you can easily address unemployment by huge government spending and kind of on a job creation drive. The potential issue that comes with the more that you spend is that if it's wasteful spending, it can quite easily lead to bad inflation, making the issue worse. So Bob Hawke comes in and he's like, we need to spend more, but we can't have more go to wages. So we're going to fix unemployment, but we cannot have wage increases. And that goes back to his instincts as leader of the ACTU, where it's his job to advocate for better wages when he actually believed that Whitlam was giving too much away in wages. Mm. So he comes in and he has a, a, a young, talented treasurer. Any guesses as to who, who that would be? Paul Keating. Paul Keating. So Paul Keating is, is Bob Hawke's treasurer. Really, it's this is a two-part series looking at Hawke and Keating. It's really... a effectively a two-part series on Keating because I would make the argument that Keating had more impact as treasurer in transforming the nation than he did as prime minister. So mm. I, I would put the argument that Keating's major years were in the Hawke government. And he was still really important as a prime minister, but the 80s is where Keating really transforms the economy of the nation. Now, the first thing that Hawke and Keating do is they sit down with the ACTU and they enter a deal called the Accords. I think overall that there's seven of these. They keep getting revisited over the years. And basically it was it was a trade-off between the two. So Hawke's adamant that there will be no wage increases. So they've got to come up with a deal to sell this to the ACTU. The deal is essentially we're going to freeze wages. And in return, we're going to give you an increased pension. And we're going to create things like the National WHS Commission so that you can have safe working conditions. And basically, they look to provide all sorts of other benefits that they can get down the track that won't give them an immediate wage increase right now because that's going to make inflation worse. So that's the deal that the two of them make. So it's basically an agreement for delayed spending and the ACTU takes this. There was one union out of the Council of Trade Unions who rejected this deal and didn't want anything to do with it and voted against it. That was the nurses union. Interesting. They didn't want that. Why is that? They just were advocating for wage growth. Yeah. And just like the nurses just always get the worst end of the deal. Mm. And they're like the, the national WHS commission. Look, if we're not on the construction site, we're in the hospital there's very little you can do to prevent the risk of infectious diseases that we can get and that sort mm. of thing. Whereas on the construction site, there's loads of WHS stuff you can do that will make your working conditions way better. So the nurses union rejects this. Hawk 
is also quite popular amongst the business class, which you wouldn't expect being a labor mm. guy. But there's also like a lot of labor guys hate Bob Hawke as well. And that's because he made a lot of deals with the upper classes. So the top tax bracket was cut from 61% to 49%. That is a huge income tax cut. So he's making deals with everyone. And basically, Hawke allows his cabinet to have independence. And one of the reasons why his government functions really well is he's got a really competent cabinet. So he's got Keating, Joe Richo from Sky News. No. So he's a Sky News guy, but he was Labor's environment minister back in the day. Wow. He's known as kind of a pa- yeah, I know, weird change of... <laughs> yeah, why is, he, why is he flipped like that? <laughs> done the Mark Latham thing. And Richo was the environment, environmental minister, and he was known as a pretty big power broker within the party. Kim Beasley was in there. Bill Hayden was foreign minister. So he's got a really strong cabinet of people who would go on to do really important things in the Labor Party down the track. And Keating gets pretty much an independent say on what happens with the economy. He's got to run everything by Keating in the end, by Hawke in the end, I should say. But Hawke's not hovering over Keating's shoulder telling Keating what he should do. And so Keating gets autonomy over the economy and Keating makes some really important economic changes. If I were to say floating the Aussie dollar, any idea what that is? It's to do, is it to do with like, um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a business going public, right? Isn't it like to be sellable on the share market? Is that what it, is it so that you can kind of, I don't actually know what it means. Never mind. I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's use footy cards to explain it. Yeah. yeah. Good. <laughs> the, 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 the best microeconomic explainer for a macro economy. Okay. So. If we were to have a fixed currency, that would mean that the Australian Reserve, so the centralised authority, determines what the exchange rate is for Australian currency to other currencies. And that can, they can kind of change. There's different conditions that require different exchange rates. So a lower or a weaker currency means that your export market's really strong. So countries want to buy from you, but a... Stronger currency means your imports are really cheap. So whatever the economic conditions are, you might want to change the value of your currency. China does it all the time right now. Mm. However, Keating decided to float the Aussie dollar. So let's go back to our footy cards. Let's just say you had a James McManus footy card. PY, if you were the principal of Barney Bay Public School, Mm. what would be the exchange rate for James McManus? Um, What What card would be a fair swap? Or combination of cards, even if you if you have it, maybe Alan Tong, an Alan Tong. Yeah. So, in a fixed currency, if Py was the principal of Barney Bay Public School, the only trade deal you could have for James McManus would be Alan Tong. People would not be able to decide what the exchange rate was, so to speak. Mm-hmm. In a floating with a floating currency, the market, the international economy, decides what the exchange rate is. So the international market. So rather than any particular centralized authority, you just leave it up to the market. They decide what the conditions are. So if you're an independent buyer, so to speak, you can decide, actually, no, I don't want to trade my Alan Tung for my James McManus. I actually want to trade a bumpy Roy Azatazi because Sandboy stopped selling James McManus cards. Mm-hmm. If you're an American listener, sorry, we, we are. Because <laughs> we, you got Bob Hawke as the CIA informant, we, we get to have our, our, our revenges that we get to use <laughs> illustrations that you don't understand. <laughs> so floating the Aussie dollar is effectively 
letting the market decide what the exchange rate is rather than having your own government decide what the exchange rate is. Okay. Follow me so far. Yeah. Now, there's all sorts of advantages to this. One of the huge disadvantages to Australia having a fixed currency was that the night before the new currency is announced, what might people do? Be like a lot of buying, like, would you sort of gamble on which way it's going to go? Totally. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. Now, this is... I guess that's just like, that's just like trading on the stock market, right? You just get information and you make a decision about whether you think that'll push a stock up or down. Yeah. They probably just know a few things about what's been going on in the government. Yeah. And, and, and make a call. And it was actually really frustrating for the Federal Reserve because they, if people bought or sold a whole bunch of currency, that would completely drain the resources of the Federal Reserve having to issue and withdraw that currency. Mm. And it, when, the, when the Federal Reserve needs... The way that you can manipulate your currency is that you buy up or release money into the economy. So you either store money in reserve or you release it into the into the market. That's how you manipulate your currency. And it just, it took so, it wasted a whole bunch of resources having to kind of then respond to all these speculators the night before who mm. bought up and sold all. It, 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 the whole system was a bit of a schmozzle. And so for efficiency, and again, this is pretty broadly recognized from both left and right across the political spectrum as a good economic decision. Paul Keating was like, no, nah, we need to float the Aussie dollar. In true Paul Keating style, he acts as though it was, he was the only one who had this idea, <laughs> and is like, "I like this was this was this was my idea," and Hawk tried to take the credit for it. Um, he obviously had advisors that were saying, "Hey, this could be a, a really good system to use." Yeah. So he floats the Aussie dollar, and that basically gives the business community actually a whole lot more freedom to act independently. And there's some Australian industries that hate Keating for this because, as foreign currency kind of came in and the exchange was made a lot easier. This negatively affected them, particularly on the export market because they had less protection from the government. But by and large, the, the broader economy benefited from having access to global trade. Because if you're an Australian manufacturer, you can then get access to cheaper labor and cheaper currency. Um, and it did benefit the whole Australian economy, but not without cost. The other thing that Paul Keating did that was, was really important was that he allowed foreign banks to come into Australia as treasurer, with the theory of we need more competition. So if this per- if these guys can give better interest rates and if these guys can actually make, basically give us more supply. So if yes, it does mean that Australian money is going offshore as people deposit in foreign bank accounts, yep. but also it means that foreign money is coming inshore as they're giving loans to people to actually you know, go create their pie business or whatever. Mm. So this does actually stimulate the economy at the same time and creates competition for the Australian banks. Keating's whole argument was he thought that the Commonwealth Bank, and we're going to come on to them in the Keating episode, acted with basic impunity because they were government run and that they Mm. needed to basically kill what they ate and needed to be competitive in the private market. So he allows foreign banks to come in. He also introduces something called the capital gains tax. Mm. Yeah, we know a bit about this. Tell fill, fill fill us in. Oh, it's just a it's just a big tax you have to pay when you like if for example you you buy a house at a price and sell it for a higher price, you've got to pay a, a hefty tax on on the gains that you make. And I think I think it's it's a, a bit of a reason why we like house prices are so expensive now, because they like so was it early two thousands, they like halved it. Yeah, Howard halved it, yeah. Under Howard and then 
So that's just meant so much easier to make money off selling houses. What would be the theory behind mm. the capital gains tax? Why would you put a, a hefty tax on buying and selling assets? Do you want people to not buy and sell yeah. so many assets? Why? Like, I don't know, like assets, I guess, are a bit of a protection against inflation to mm. some extent. Um, but I don't, I don't know why. So basically, there's no extra, like buying and selling, like being, being a merchant trader adds no productivity to the economy. True. So yeah. you're not actually creating anything of value. It's just pure speculation. Mm. And so Keating wanted to encourage effectively more productivity and less money coming through speculation. Yeah. And okay. like you need to be, if you're going to be rich, you need to have added something of value to society. And you can't just buy houses and 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 flip them and sell them on on instinct, mm. and so now that was that was really unpopular in the business community, from particularly the upper classes who again secured their wealth portfolio through things like property, and Keating also wanted to disincentivize people owning six properties. Mm. He was like, it's terrible for the market; it makes it less affordable for you, for, for your average first home buyer, and so this is broadly considered another good mm. policy which again, Howard then halved. And when Howard halved it, Howard was the hero for the upper classes because it's like, sweet, that makes buying and selling multiple homes a whole lot more mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, easy and, and, and actually flipping. Fl- and it puts a whole bunch of money into the Sydney, or the, ho- the whole Australian housing market, but particularly the Sydney housing market, mm. which with all that extra investment, it just causes prices to skyrocket so much so that none of us have a house. Mm. It's true. But we do have the place of piety that we are recording this podcast from. We wouldn't have it any other way. Keating also, so the Australian economy was really protectionist. Basically, what that meant was that Australia was really protective of Australian industry. So if you wanted to buy foreign imports, there were all sorts of taxes called tariffs that were put on them. Mm -hmm. Keating agreed to phase out pretty much all tariffs except for the automotive and the shoe industry by the year 2000. The shoe industry? Yeah, what the... (laughs) Paul Keating, Nikes. Paul Keating was from Bankstown. Rose a sneakerhead. He's got the. So, <laughs> imagine Paul Keating walking around in like Air Force Ones or something. Yeah. <laughs> Is this when Dunlop volleys <laughs> rose? <laughs> you just uh, all what's, what they called Haley's wheelies. The like yeah yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. into Parliament on those. So you're saying that. The, the shoes, they still get tariffed. Is that what you're saying? Or they don't get tariffed? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so imports for the automotive industry and imports for from shoes, they are mm. still tariffed because those industries needed to be protected. Mm. I think it's less on True, the like, pulse. Yeah, we need... The Dunlops had the handball in them. Like, <laughs> of course, they need to be protected. And the theory behind protecting the automotive industry is the car industry is a combination of all sorts of technologies that are crucial. So it's your electronics, it's your mechanical, and it's now at this point, it's also your renewable energy. Though that wasn't the case in the 80s. So countries like China have really invested in the automotive industry in the last 10 years because it's a combination of all sorts of technologies that are crucial for your economy. And so if you have a strong automotive industry, you're probably succeeding in those other sectors of of your economy as well. Yeah. And so Keating was really keen to protect. It's kind of been gutted recently, hasn't it? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it a year or so ago that was it Holden that moved offshore? Yeah. It was like the last, the last one being manufactured in Australia. And we'll, when we do the Turnbull episode, we'll have a look at that. Very good. So the other big one, and I know this has been quite 
economically heavy to begin with. And we haven't really spoken about Bob Hawke this episode at all. <laughs> no. But again, this is Keating acting with now the- just a finance bro podcast. <laughs> <where> <laughs> Talk about economics and stuff. We're going to talk about franking credits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. We actually are going to talk wow. about franking credits uh, right now. Very good. Do you know what a franking credit is? It's, um, am I correct in saying it's like, it's to do with like the business tax rate, right? Yeah. It's like 30%. And so if you, if you, is it to do with owning shares yeah. in those businesses? And so if you, as someone who has, is in the lower than 30% tax bracket, but you have to pay a 30% tax on those shares or like they, the company does, you get like a credit for that difference. Yeah. So that you haven't paid. Double tax. Yeah. Double tax. Yeah, exactly. So Keating basically, Mm -hmm. so if, if the company gets taxed once, they, if the company pays corporate tax and then you pay, you pay private tax on top of that, that's kind of effectively getting double taxes. So the corporate tax rate, let's just say corporate tax rate goes at 38% or whatever, and those shares are taxed at 38% because as a shareholder, you are a business owner, so to speak. Mm. So you pay the 38% corporate tax rate, and then you pay the, what, 61% income tax rate on top of that for your shares. So let's say you're a really wealthy guy and you're in that top top tax bracket. Well, now 49% because Bob Hawke brought them down. Yeah, That's effectively getting double tax. 38% corporate tax, 49% income tax. Keating introduced a franking credit to be able to go back on your tax return and say, I can get that money back on the income tax. So I'm not paid that 49% income tax because I already paid the corporate tax rate first. Mm. So it's basically a way to avoid double taxing. And that was what Keating introduced is basically a a tax refund. What would happen is that Howard would allow the corporate, the, the franking credit to be accessible for, for pensioners and for see, like retirees mm. who aren't paying any tax to begin with. Yeah, I think that was where the issue arose, right? Yes. And so in 2019, Labor wanted to get rid of the that for, for, for retirees. Labor's argument was it doesn't avoid double taxation. It prevents zero taxation. And so... Yeah, because if, like if they're not working, they're paying no tax and yeah. then they pay the 30%. Or 38% corporate tax. Yeah. They just get all of that refunded, right? Yeah, exactly. So if they get all of it refunded, they're paying no tax for income. And yeah. I know it's a little bit weird. <laughs> you were implying that that would be, this was going to be a silly part of the episode when you were introducing it. <laughs> the franking credits. The franking yeah. credits. Yeah. Wait, when did you imply that? Uh, Cam was like, oh, I know it's been economic heavy. And we're <laughs> now, now, now we're going to talk about the, the franking credits. Was like, Let's get back to James McManus, please. Yeah. <laughs> You've eaten your apple. Now you get the lolly. The lolly being franking mm. credits. So, yeah, mm. basically, and just a couple of circles. So the way that it worked in 2019, Scott Morrison was Labor's trying to rob pensioners. Mm. And like, it's a tax on pensioners. Bill Shorten's argument was basically this isn't, putting double taxation back in place we're getting it to singular taxation if that Mm. makes sense so allowing workers yeah if you pay income tax by all means get your franking credit still that's fine but if you are not paying tax to the government no you don't get a franking credit because you were never paying tax to begin with so we can tax that income and Mm. basically shorten's argument was that yeah i can't remember the exact number maybe it was somewhere around 9.6 billion i'm thinking that was what they were predicting that tax loophole costed the government in terms of the budget. Yeah, well. So, anyway, PY, <laughs> mm. you are looking quite weary. So we will find out more about the silly side of Bob Hawke after this. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay. Paywat, tell us about the America's Cup. So, I believe it is a a sailing competition Mm -hmm. uh, held in America. And... I don't really understand it, but basically one year in the 80s, Australia won. They won the America's Cup. And Bob Hawke was very happy about this. And I believe he said, any boss who makes their workers go to work today is a bum. (laughs) Um, And National Public Holiday then happened, right? So, I mean, yeah, talk about driving popularity. And it makes me think, what other event would have been deserving of a public holiday? And really, how come more politicians have not done it? Because what I mean, what's the downside, right? Like, is it gonna is there gonna be that much? I don't know economic crisis if yeah. people don't work for the day, and if people do get the day off, do. You, you like get legend status automatically, I think, mm. right? Well, that would just—I think that would just do popularity wonders. Our most recent one was was Queen's death, day of mourning, which Albanese okay. Albanese yeah. gave the day off, and there was actually a fair bit of pushback, like probably it's from. Di- sc- yeah, it's different as well, though. Right? And it's also interesting because the like the the kind of Sky News faction that are pretty heavy monarchists mm. they were in a stuck in a rock between a hard place. Do you yeah. criticize Albo for giving a day off for mourning? Yeah. And say, look at all the economic productivity we're losing. But then yeah. by doing that, we're denigrating the death of the Queen, which is kind of our MO. Mm. Mm. Yeah. What would what would you give a day off for? Well, I mean, I think if uh the Socceroos mm. did make it to the quarterfinal like yeah, and the game time was beat four a.m. Oh, so right, if okay. if, yeah. if Qual put that one in, yeah, and then we go on to hold on in extra time, yeah. and then Redmayne wins the penalty shootout. I know, oh. Graham Arnold seems like he's a big advocate for it. He was calling for it after the game against Peru. He was like, "Should be a day off," and it's like, That's... I think a lot of Australians didn't even know that game against Peru was even happening. Yeah, <laughs> um, until you had like Koshi doing the Redmayne sunrise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah, he called. I think he called for the same thing again after the the Denmark game. But I mean, fair enough. If it was like a four a.m. game, if the quarterfinal was like a four a.m. game on a weekday, and like, yeah, I reckon take the day. The and they that, did it in Morocco, I think. Yeah, but the thing I don't understand was we, we were still in the World Cup at that point. Yeah, calling for the day off while we're still in the World Cup, it was like trying to 
give some gravitas to the achievement maybe yeah but it suggests that we're at the end of the road yeah rather mm. than we can still go let's yeah other than yeah that, because then but then if you do it after we get knocked out right you've got a day of celebration but also of mourning really because yeah. it's like yes it's a great achievement we've made the quarterfinal or the semi-final yeah. but we didn't win it <laughs> so i think that'll that would probably be the only mm event i don't oh there, there must be others because every other sporting thing that we're good at we just like we'd win every second world cup whether it's like rugby league oh, cricket yeah. well, like the, the, yeah. the, uh, the rugby league world cup <laughs> <laughs> there was like after england won the ashes in 05 there might have been a day off i reckon there was like thousands of people Fair enough, they love but in england they love like a, a bus parade it's like a whole thing you don't really get that here mm. and it was like one in such dramatic fashion fashion yeah the 05 exactly. ashes like people said there'll yeah. never be another ashes like that yeah i'm gonna take you wanted to get silly i'm gonna take you back to 2012 for you guys 2009 for me okay Okay, yes. Wait, what? Okay, well, well yeah, well done, well done. Well done. <laughs> Sorry, I was like, how are they <laughs> well, How are they different times, you know? <laughs> what was our big HSIE topic in year six that wasn't Canberra? Well, Canberra was one of them. There was another one in semester one. You just spent like, I don't know if, I don't know if this was the same for you. We spent like a whole semester on this topic. I still cannot figure out why today. Did you guys look at Antarctica? I was, I was yeah. just thinking it was Antarctica and you yeah. had to do... For their title page, you got everyone to do the same drawing. I don't know if you remember that. Race was, to the pole. It was like the um, the kind of like iceberg splitting and stuff and some sunrise with some mountains. And I remember having the humiliation of Mrs. Cooper. Like We, we had, all had the same year six teacher. Wow, we were all Mrs. Cooper. Yeah. yeah. Wow. There you go. Well, Mrs. Cooper brought all the year sixes into our classroom. We were all sitting on the floor and they'd wheel out the... Because we, we were still on the... um the the box tv yeah. so they'd wheel out the box tv to watch behind the news on antarctica mm. okay and she got them down like what do we know about antarctica let's just take some things and people are like penguin she's like yes snow yes <laughs> and i'm like I've, I've got one i put my head up i'm like That's eskimos oh. like, she was like no <laughs> and after, <laughs> okay. after everyone got an affirming yes I had the humiliation and I never put my hand up again after that. <laughs> that is tough. <laughs> Still hurts to think about to, to this day. Can you even... I'm interested. Do you bring yourself what? to... If kids say something that's wrong in your classroom, do you just affirm it because you no, know how much it hurt? <laughs> I, um, I give them... I give them My, my go-to one, I don't give it... Uh, uh, you're on the right track. That's patronizing. Mm. I do the... I can see the logic and you would think that, yeah. but you're actually wrong. Yeah. Mm. What does this have to do with our day off conversation? Not our day off. This is part of Bob Hawke's environmental policy. Oh, okay. That was your transition. Antarctica so. is very rich <laughs> in oil reserves. Is it really? Yes. Oh. Now, if everyone drills for oil in Antarctica, what could happen? It'll melt. Which would cause... <laughs> sea levels to warming. rise. Wow. <laughs> and so... Wait, what, which one was correct? Sea levels or global warming? Well, well since <laughs> sea levels, <laughs> the consequence of global warming yeah. would be made much would be made apparent much quicker, mm. and it could create like an economic an economic catastrophe. So, Bob Hawke and his environmental minister Graham Richardson, again the guy that's on Sky News right now, mm. the the irony is just incredible. Mm. Led the world in signing the Madrid Treaty, which was basically an agreement not to drill for oil. Okay. In Antarctica. Nice. And that's like yeah. really important economic policy, uh, sorry, environmental policy. Paul Keating 
when he's describing about it, he still uses the the language we. So like, like we ensured that this happened. That wasn't Keating's portfolio. That was that was Hawke and Richardson. Mm. So he, he is a bit selective as to when he uses we. But give him his dues. He, we just spoke about how much we appreciated his economic reforms. But Hawke and Richardson kind of have that as a signature foreign policy. It's kind of a foreign policy and environmental policy at the same time. They also prevent the Franklin Dam in Tasmania from being built for fear it would it would devastate the Franklin River. And so that was Graham Richardson's big, big battle that he fought, and he mm. won that one. So the Hawke government's having victories kind of left, right, and center throughout the 80s. They have another big victory, APEC. I don't know what APEC is. Asian Do Pacific you know what APEC is? Economic Asian Economic Cooperation. That's the- yes, PLA. APEC is Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation. Basically, Hawke is looking into the future. And so Hawke's obviously on very good terms with America. And he has been an informant for them before. And he very much ran in a different lane to Gough Whitlam of we're not going to annoy the Americans. At the same time, he's viewing Asia as the future of the world. Because the Soviet Union's still intact in the 1980s, China's now starting to make moves towards the West rather than towards the Eastern Bloc. We've got Japan, we've got Indonesia, who are now, like, story for another day, but basically there was a huge genocide in the 60s when they went anti-communist, and now Indonesia is on relatively good terms with the West. And so Bob Hawke is seeing an opportunity to create an Asian economic community led by Australia. And so he actually launches APEC... And he puts feelers out to America. America's pretty cold to begin with. Eventually, they'll come around. Uh, and he actually, this is a really important step in having Australia and America heavily involved in Asian dialogue. And so, actually, Bob Hawke begins APEC. And that's kind of his signature foreign policy that Paul Keating goes to build upon. We're going to fast forward to the end of Bob Hawke's time in office. And over time, Keating's argument against Bob Hawke was that he became all style and no substance by the end. That he was this big reformer to begin with and was really supportive of all Keating's reforms, but by the end of it, he kind of lost the gusto for reform. And that by the end of his time in office, he was just content being the larrikin prime minister that everyone loved. Mm. That was his. That's his basic argument against Bob Hawke. One of the most famous speeches Bob Hawke made was his speech after the Tiananmen Square. Yeah, you, you mentioned it to us in an episode. Yeah. He was he cried. Yeah, exactly. So Bob Hawke cried in that speech. And so Bob Hawke basically had the policy of building up China and he was really supportive of China. He went to China in the 1980s and after Tiananmen Square, he kind of gave a teary speech condemning the massacre and affirming America's light sanctions against China. So... He kind of is very much towing the American line. There was also a coup. We love coups in this podcast. Mm. His, but his, he, we're going to love this one even more just because it's, it's, it's in Fiji. What? Fijian coup. Yes. Uh, there you go. Who knew there was political turmoil in Fiji? There is heaps. Yeah, Damn. yeah that's a, that is a topic for another day. <laughs> that's not what you hear from, you know, the people that come home in come back in year six after school holidays in yeah. Fiji with braided hair, with braided hair. <laughs> <laughs> is that where they get the little 
Like, is it henna? Is yeah. That, is that from Fiji where you draw like the flowers and stuff on your hands? Not exclusively Fiji, but yeah, com- common in yeah, Fiji. Yeah, classic. It was always just who could keep their braided hair and henna on their wrists the longest. <laughs> we should also add that we have the privilege of growing up in a fairly affluent part of Australia. We should <laughs> that this was not most people's holidays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. In year six. <laughs> oh, I went down to the uh, big four at Tugra Lakes. <laughs> so, yeah, no, Fiji has had a lot of coups. We, we we should do this as a topic. It's it's really mm. interesting. Basically, like, uh, political corruption is like rife in yeah. these countries, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. super. Um, and again, we've kind of spoken about the corruption index. If your country, if your economy is anywhere beneath developing, mm. then you can expect corruption to be really rampant in the country, yeah. as it's a way of actually one of the few ways you can get wealth in that country. Mm. So, basically, as a, a coup that happens in Fiji. Hawk puts an embargo on and they make concessions and he kind of puts pressure on them. The other PY, I'm going to do our podcast special here. Okay. Crown episode. Okay. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. South Africa. Apartheid. Yes. Do you remember what that one was about? Um, was it to like, either like supporting it or to not support it? Mm-hmm. Watch what side, like, there was, so, Margaret Thatcher, put this on record, obviously didn't support apartheid. Yeah. But she was the only one out of a whole bunch of Commonwealth nations. All the Commonwealth, yeah. Who wanted to sanction yeah. the South African regime. Okay, yeah. So, Hawke was a big believer in sanctioning South Africa. Yeah. And Thatcher wasn't. And there was some friction there on what to do with South Africa. Yeah. So... Hawke also feels emboldened to do this because because he's so firmly in bed with America, he doesn't really care what Britain thinks of him. Whereas previous prime ministers have kind of gone tail between their legs to to Britain. I see. He also, an interesting thing as well. So Gulf War, remember when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait? Mm-hmm. Yep. So what Bob Hawke does is Bob Hawke tries to look ahead. He's like, obviously America's going to win this. And at the negotiating table... America, we like we don't really have much to offer in terms of strength because this won't be because of Australian strength. It'll be because of American strength. What we can offer is quick assistance. And if we say we were there first and we were there from the beginning, we were the OGs, mm. that will then give Australia a much stronger say at the negotiating table. Number one. And the Gulf region is really important because of oil. Mm. And so that's Hawke's thinking. So he supports America in the Gulf War pretty much instantly. According to Keating, this was when Hawke was starting to really deteriorate and just become a man of pure style. Before we get to the Hawke-Keating dispute, I do want to give a shout out to two really important policies that the Hawke government put in place. Gough Whitlam brought in Medicare, known as Medibank. Basically, that was more or less gutted by Malcolm Fraser. Hawke brought it back. And rather than calling it Medibank, privatized Medibank and just started again with Medicare. So that was a really important... I think you pointed that out, PY, on the uh, Golf Whitland podcast, Mm. how important Hawke was in that. Yeah. Second one, they poured heaps more money into the public schooling system. In the... Before Hawke came into office, only three out of 10 people were finishing year 12. Yeah, that's Mm. low. And... As a teacher, there are both sides to this. We have a lot of people finishing year 12 right now where I'm like, actually, you'd be much better off. Just go go and do a trade early on. You clearly don't want to be here. 
you're yeah. putting no effort into your school. Yeah. Go and do something where you put you that you put effort into. Mm-hmm. So there is an argument to be made that we're keeping too many at school right now. But three in ten people finished year twelve before Hawke left office. Seven in ten were finishing year twelve by the time Hawke left office. So incredible. Yes, that is really impressive. Mm. And again, a lot of that's just down to pure funding uh, and to actually making it. Because again, if schools are more funded, they can easily they can hire more staff, which makes keeping year twelves for longer a lot easier. Yeah, that's the, the the basic way the system worked. So those were two really important policies. But by the early 90s, Hawke's charm is starting to wear off a little bit. If anyone's in office long enough, their charm will completely wear off. Yeah. The novelty, like Albo's riding pretty sky high right now, but if he hangs around for eight, nine years, that charm will definitely wear off as the lovable dad. Yeah. Mm. So, Kating... Keating is basically promised leadership of the party by Hawke and he's viewed by everyone as the natural successor. There's a plan. Yes. And he's actually viewed as the more talented one. So Hawke can kind of... So Hawke's good cop, Keating's bad cop. That's how, how it kind of works. So Keating's the bully, Hawke's the one with the kind of... The one, the darling of the media. Yeah. Mm. But Keating's the one who will come out there and just tell them they're all idiots, basically. I've kind of just heard it described like this and it's, it's a view that I kind of agree with. It's like if Trump wasn't a moron, like if Trump, if, if Trump was, was sharp. So because tr- Trump's okay. charm was that he came out and he attacked the media and he was really funny in how he did it. Yeah. Like the, 2015, there was a magic about Trump that, that there isn't there today. Now he comes across as quite sulky, mm. but in 2015, there was a definite charm to it. But obviously Trump isn't an intellectual when it comes to, t- comes to policy. He's got his basic points but he has nowhere near the nuance that someone like Paul Keating would have. Mm. Paul Keating can bully the media, but will have the intellectual whereabouts to back it up as well. Smartest guy in the room. <laughs> and he did. He did, didn't. He didn't finish year twelve either. He left when he was like fifteen. Left dropped oh, out of school at fifteen. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, that we'll cover that one in the in, in next week's episode. So Keating is viewed as this kind of Titanic leader who is the right guy to take over from Bob Hawke. Because when Bob Hawke gets stale, throw this guy in and he will bully the media and he will kind of preserve Labor's time in office by a fair amount. One of the great tragedies was that Keating never got to be opposition leader because that was a job made for Paul Keating. Mm. He would be an incredible opposition leader. So So why did he not? Did they just find him after Paul Keating finished as PM? They just put someone else. He retired. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like right, my time. Okay. Was, he was he was in office for five years. So that's a pretty decent spell yeah. as prime minister. Yeah. So, I just think okay. I think he just couldn't be bothered either. He was like, I can't be bothered. I've been prime minister. I can't yeah. be bothered doing the years in opposition leader again. Mm. Also, Australia's probably a bit sick of me right now. I'll I'll, I'll be fondly remembered, but right now they just need someone else. Mm. But Hawke and Keating signed something called the Kirribilli Agreement which was that after the 1990 election... Is that just like an agreement that you just have to play cricket there every year on Christmas? Uh, Off-spin only, no wrong answers. Gentlemen, there's fires. No man-cads. And basically the agreement was that after the 1990 election, Hawke would step aside as leader of the party for Keating. Okay. So, 1990 comes around, Hawke wins the election... And fends off the Liberal Party. Yeah. And 
and he doesn't step aside. Oh. He justifies the, this on the basis of the Gulf War. So he's like, this is the Gulf, the Gulf War's going on. Well, yeah. Were the public aware of this? Like, were no, the, it's a secret. Pub- so you could also be like, well, the public, they're voting me and not you as well. Yeah. yeah. And mm. so this was, it, and yeah, like it was pretty much an honor agreement rather than a yeah, yeah, yeah. publicly well-known. Yeah. And so sure enough, Hawk doesn't step aside and Keating starts getting pretty annoyed. And basically he starts piping up in the press. Um, so there's kind of two things that he does. Number one is uh, Australia was going through a recession and as treasurer that falls on Keating, right? That, that's his portfolio. Um, he basically said this is a recession we had to have because we had a lot of business fat that we needed to kill and we actually had to go through an economic withdrawal in order to eliminate some of the the issues we've had in the Australian economy, like us protecting these industries for so long that didn't need to be protected. Mm. And so basically he goes and says, this is the recession we need to have. If you're someone who's lost their job in one of these Australian factories, that doesn't come across pretty well for you. It comes across as perhaps a little bit tone deaf. And Hawk is really angry at Keating for saying that. And Hawk comes out and forces him to basically walk it back. Mm. The second thing Keating does is Keating actually then starts talking about John Curtin. John Curtin was Australia's Prime Minister during World War II. Hawke has basically spoken very highly of him. He's probably known as Australia's greatest Prime Minister in circles that are older than us. Mm. John Curtin, that is. And so Hawke likes to associate himself with with John Curtin. Keating goes to the press club and just starts piping off about John Curtin, saying that he had no vision, he wasn't actually that good a prime minister. (laughs) And this is labour on labour. Yeah. This, who's really the subject of of all this? Hawke, okay? And the the media catches on to this. And so it's now clear that Keating and Hawke are at odds with each other. Hawke is holding on but he's actually losing popularity. There's a guy called John Hewson. He's now the leader of the Liberal Party. So Howard gets his first bite at the cherry and loses. A guy called Peacock comes in. Peacock gets beaten by John Hewson for the leadership of the party. And Hewson is gaining popularity with a campaign called the Fight Back Campaign. And so Keating actually challenges Hawke for the leadership of the party officially in 1991. Who wins? It's got to be Keating, right? He doesn't. But not yet, he hasn't. Not yet, he hasn't. So Hawk beats Keating and Hawk staves off Keating. So Keating walks out of the kind of party of the party vote and press is everywhere and the press is like, what happened? And Keating is very matter of fact. He's like, look, I wanted his job. I lost. I had one bullet in the chamber and I missed. And Mm -hmm. basically Keating at that point resigned himself to defeat and he resigned as treasurer and retired to the back bench, waiting to leave parliament. Okay. So 1991, Keating is basically like, I'm done. I wasted yeah. my shot. I might come back to parliament later on when all the dust is settled, but probably my shot at prime minister is over. And it's seen by a lot of Labor people at this point as the great tragedy. They didn't want Bob Hawke to go, but this really talented future PM, you're never going to have. Mm. He's the prime minister we're never going to get. So... Keating ends up Prime Minister, right? Mm. Is that what, what we're going to find out next episode? We are going to find that out next episode. Wow. We are going to leave you in suspense. What a cliffhanger. Yes. Till then. Till then. Ooh. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 